ready to open the Word this morning? Like I said, we're going to read a couple large sections from the Christmas story, and then I'll share a little bit about it. We're going to begin with Matthew, in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Now we're going to move to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went out to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the, in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. 
Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Amen? Amen. I'm titling the message for this morning, The Identity of the Baby in the Manger. The Identity of the Baby in the Manger. You know, in reading Matthew and Luke, there is both a name given to this baby and several titles that are given to him. And before we get into the various titles and what they mean concerning the baby who is born, I want us to first look at the name that is given to the child. The first point I want to make is this. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Now we saw both in Matthew chapter 1 and and Luke chapter 2 that the name Jesus was very important. In fact, it's also important in Luke's first uh, chapter. In, In Luke chapter 1, let me read what the angel Gabriel said to Mary. In Luke 1, 31, it says, the angel Gabriel says this, and, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Now, not long after the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and, and commanded her that she's to name the child Jesus, we see that another angel, we're not told who the angel was or what kind of angel it was, but it shows up in a dream to Joseph. And what instruction does this angel give to Joseph? The same instruction that Gabriel gave to Mary, that he was to name the child Jesus. So, you know, that made the discussion about the child's name pretty easy, right? (laughs) Both Mary and Joseph were in agreement. Yeah, this baby needs to be called Jesus. It's not a name we came up with, but it's a name God came up with because God ultimately is the father of this child and he has given it a name and it is the name Jesus, right? So they don't have to discuss, okay, should we name it Simon or John or David or Joseph or Nathaniel or anything like that. Rather, they say, no, we're going to fulfill the will of the Lord. He wants the name of the child to be Jesus. We're going to name him Jesus. Now, it's interesting. I, I, I counted up the number of times the name Jesus appears in the Christmas narrative. So Luke 1 and 2 and Matthew uh, 1 and 2, up until the time of the circumcision. And the name Jesus, up until the time of the circumcision, occurs eight times. And interestingly, of course, we're told that Jesus is given the name when he is eight days old. So the fact that his name is mentioned eight times, that it is being bestowed on the eighth day of his life, It points toward the fact that this child is none other than the one who will bring about a new beginning. For eight throughout the scripture is always a number that symbolizes new beginning, new creation life. The old creation came about in seven days. The eighth day is always new creation. That's why we celebrate on Sunday, right? Because Jesus rose again on Sunday, the eighth day, the first day after the seven days of the week. We celebrate the intrusion of new creation life into the world. 
And that we understand that Jesus wasn't just born 2,000 years ago, but Jesus has been born in you and me, and he has made us new creatures, that we have new life in him, and this is always reason to celebrate throughout the entirety of the year. Amen? Now, very few people in English take the name Jesus. I have never met someone named Jesus. Have any of you ever met someone named Jesus? Now, in Spanish, yeah, right? In Spanish, they're all over the place. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's why you have, to, you have to like designate Jesus Cristo, right? That's the Jesus we're talking about. But in, when, in English, you just say Jesus. You don't have to say Jesus Christ. You say Jesus, everyone knows who you're talking about, right? Well, in Mary and Joseph's time, it was more like, in Israel, it was more like Mexico than it was England, okay? Meaning there were a lot of people who were named Jesus. And... Um, why? Because it was a very common name. In fact, you just read through the, the New Testament, and there are multiple other people named Jesus. In Colossians chapter 4, Paul greets someone who's named Jesus. In Acts chapter 13, uh, Paul comes into conflict with a sorcerer who is named Elimus, and he is the son of a guy named Jesus. And so we see a lot of Jesus figures. In fact, I've been reading the work of Josephus, his, his history on the Jewish war. And throughout that work, I've noticed that a lot of important characters, their name was also Jesus. So Jesus was a very popular Jewish name. And, you know, in English, the thing is, I, you know, I don't know why, why it's not a popular English name. It just, it just didn't happen to be that way. But the, the, the reason we, we say the, the name like we do Jesus is because we just transliterate what the Greek word is. So the Greek word in the New Testament is Iesu. And when you just take each of those letters from, from Greek and you put the English letters for the Greek letters, it just comes out as Jesus. That's why we say Jesus in English. It's a similar reason why in Spanish they say Jesus. So it's, just, it's a transliteration from the Greek into the Spanish or the Greek into the English. But that's probably not the way it was said by Mary and Joseph, right? They, they probably said it in the Aramaic, which was Yeshua. Some say it might have been pronounced Yeshu, which ultimately it stems from the Hebrew. The Aramaic came around the time of the Babylonian exile, and it changed, uh, they changed some of the way they spoke in the Hebrew language. But Yeshua was simply a shortened form of the Hebrew term, which was Yahashua, which is the name Joshua. So when the angels tell Mary and Joseph that the name of the child would be Jesus or Yeshua, they're primarily thinking about this guy is going to be named Joshua. So, so when, when we think about it, you know, it's like whenever we read names in the New Testament, you have to understand that we're reading the Greek names, but really their names are Hebrew names. So Mary, I talked about this a couple Sundays ago. Mary, what was her real name in Hebrew? Miriam, right? <laughs> Simon, what is his real name in Hebrew? It's Simeon. Uh, Judas, what is his real name in Hebrew? It's Judah. Uh, you know, we, we could go on and on with, with the sort of the disciples' names and what their Hebrews' names uh, really were. But here we see his name is Joshua. And, and when, when the angel said that his name must be Joshua or Yahshua, Yahashua, 
there would have been two primary figures who were in the mind of Mary and Joseph named Joshua in the Old Testament. There are two primary Joshuas. There is Joshua the son of Nun, who leads the Israelites from the wilderness into the promised land. And then there's Joshua, who's the first high priest during the second temple, once the second temple is instituted, under uh, the, the prophets uh, Haggai and Zechariah. And, and I want to just talk about these two Joshuas for, for a moment. And so the first Joshua we encounter, Joshua the son of Nun, he actually is not first described as Joshua. In fact, his name is simply Hoshea, Hoshea, which means salvation. Well, when Moses called out Hoshea, when he sent the 12 spies into the promised land to see if it was just as the Lord described it, it says that he changed his name from Hoshea, son of Nun, to Yahashua, to Joshua. What does it mean? It means he added the name of God, Yah, to his name. So now his name doesn't just mean salvation, as if Joshua in himself was going to bring salvation. No, his name was Yahashua, meaning Yahweh's salvation, meaning Yahweh, through his grace, was going to bring salvation. And this is going to be the guy, the signifier of Yahweh's salvation. He's going to show us that he's the one who brings the people into the promised land. Only God can do it. Only his grace can do it. So if you know the story of Joshua, you know he goes in the promised land. He's one of two spies who come back and he brings a good report about the land. He says, we're more than able to go and conquer those giants because God said we are you know, more than able. And, um, you know, he was a man of great faith. We're also told in the story that he was of the tribe of, guess what? He was of the tribe of Joseph. So really, we, we, we see that Joshua is the son of who? Joseph. In the New Testament, who is Joshua the son of? Joseph, right? Joseph and Miriam. And so we see those, those connections that here we are. We see that the greater Joshua, Jesus Christ, is the one who signifies Yahweh's salvation, who's going to bring us into the promised land, who's going to drive out all of the giants, all of the spiritual forces of wickedness that stood against us and held us in bondage, and he's going to help us experiencing the blessings that God has promised his people. It's going to come through Jesus Christ, the greater Joshua. Okay? It is... His salvation. Part of the salvation is that we are taken from the land of sin and slavery, Egypt, and delivered into the promised land. That is what Jesus Christ does for you and me. But the other figure they would have been reminded of was, as I mentioned, the high priest Joshua, uh, who is mentioned in Zechariah chapter 3. And after Israel had had another Exodus experience, they exited from bondage in Babylon and came back to the land a second time, what happened was there was no temple. So what did they have to do? They had to build a second temple. And as they're building the second temple under the king Zerubbabel and through the, the prophetic encouragement of Haggai and Zechariah, they're met with a massive conundrum, which is that they can't have a high priest serve because he can't be cleansed. And the only way uh, anyone could be cleansed was if there was a temple already in existence where they could experience a cleansing. So there was something supernatural that had to happen. And that's when God gave the prophet Zechariah a vision. 
And in this vision, Zechariah witnessed the high priest Joshua being supernaturally cleansed by God and given clean garments so he could go and begin to officiate in the new temple. Well, this, of course, shows us that Joshua is the great high priest of the new temple. Well, who is Jesus Christ? He is the great high priest of the greatest temple, the third temple, the church, you and me. And this high priest, Jesus Christ, because he's born of a virgin, guess what? He is supernaturally clean. There is no sin in him. He commits no sin. So when he, he dies, he can die for our sin. And then he rises into heaven and he serves as our great high priest. And he's there and he's always making intercession for us. And he, he brings salvation, not just in terms of, you know, from demonic powers like Joshua the commander, but he brings salvation from our sin. Aren't you glad that Jesus, as your great high priest, cleanses you from all sin? He is not just the greater Joshua, son of Nun. He is the greater Joshua, the high priest. And uh, so, you know, these, I think, are at least the initial thoughts that would have been go going through uh, Mary and Joseph and the other Jews who, who are reading this story. They understood that this is Yahashua, Yeshua, the greater one who brings his people into even greater promises. And that's why... The greatest deliverance he, he brings for his people, the greatest salvation he brings is not some sort of political salvation that a lot of the Jews of that time were hoping for, but it was a great spiritual salvation. This is what, let me re remind us of what Matthew 1.21 says. Uh, the angel speaking to Joseph says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. So the angel knows what the name Jesus means. It means Yahweh's salvation. And he says the primary aspect of Yahweh's salvation is salvation from their sins. <laughs> I tell you what, we're going to get into a moment the joy of knowing your sins are forgiven. Amen. And the second point I want to make is this point number two. Jesus is the savior of the world. Now we're going to get into some of the titles that are given to the baby during the Christmas narrative. First, we're given his name Jesus. And then we're given some of the titles that this, this man, Jesus, bears. And the first title that he bears is that he is the Savior. This is what the angel army sang over the hills of Bethlehem to the shepherds in Luke 2, verse 10. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We'll get to him being Christ the Lord in a moment. But I want to focus on the fact that he is born as a Savior. A Savior. You know, the, when, the, when the shepherds have the realm of heaven peeled back, and they see a multitude of God's angel army, and they see the angel of the Lord. This is the, the angel that represents the Lord. Their, their immediate response is, is fear, right? Like, they've never seen anything like this in their life. This is scary. But what is the first thing this personal messenger of the Lord says is fear not. 
you know, the message of Christmas, the message of God coming to dwell with us, is not a message that should bring fear to people. It's a message that should bring joy. Why? Well, because Jesus, he tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He, he was coming to save people who didn't deserve salvation, right? It was an act of complete and utter unmerited favor of grace. In fact, who does the angel of the Lord, the personal message of the messenger of the Lord, who does he say is supposed to rejoice? <laughs> and, or who does he say that the child's birth is for? He says it's for all people. We never need to give up hope for anybody, no matter how messed up they are in life, because Jesus was born as a Savior for them. Let me make it even more clear. You never need to give up on yourself because Jesus was born as a Savior for you. All people. You know, when we really think about what we need saving from in, in life, <laughs> you know, we, we, we tend to think of how bad everyone else is, how bad the world is. But when you really look inwardly and you see how messed up you are, aren't you glad you have a personal Savior, right? The primary thing we, don't, we need saving from is not political turmoil, though God does at times save us from that, or societal corruption, although we do need that, or economic distress, although God does do that and he helps us there. But, but, but the primary thing we need saving from, and that far excels every other thing, is we need salvation from our sin. Both the penalty of our sin, the wages of it, which is death, and the power of our sin that resides in the flesh. We need salvation from sin. We need to be restored into the image of God. We need to become like Jesus. We need to be full of the Spirit, right? You know, the word sin simply means to miss the mark. To sin is to be broken. To sin is to be disordered. To sin is to be malfunctioning. Even worse than that, sin means that we have disobeyed God. We have transgressed that which what he said is right and good for us. It means that we fall short of the glory of God, right? We fall short of the greatest commandments, which is to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. right? I don't know about you, but I know my life has certainly missed the mark on several points. Anybody here like me? I've missed the mark. I, I, I need salvation from sin. That's just the truth. I haven't loved God the way that I ought to love God. I haven't loved others the way I ought to love them. I haven't lived fully free from the desires of the flesh, from the lust, from the anger, from the many works of the flesh that Paul de describes in Galatians 5. I have fallen short. And because of that, I am culpable for my sin. I deserve death, for that is the wage that God says sin deserves. You know, God would be perfectly righteous to hand me over to death and to hell. That's what I deserve. But the good news of Christmas is that a Savior has been born <laughs> to save me from my sin. To, to take 
the penalty of what I deserved in my place. To, to free me from the indwelling power of sin so that I can leave it in my baptism and death and I can rise and be filled with the Spirit and walk in newness of life. That He doesn't just, just free me from, from, you know, eternal perdition, which thank God He does, but He frees me from sin even in this life. That I can find a progressive sanctification. It doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect, right? But I, by the power of the Spirit, can be an overcomer of sin, even in this life. Jesus, why? Because Jesus Christ lives in me. And he has come, it says here, to save me from, from my sin. So I believe that that work, I'll fully be saved in eternity. Praise the Lord, I'll be glorified. But I believe even that work of glorification, even that work of sanctification, is at work in my life today because the child has been born in me. Amen? 1 Timothy 1.15 says this, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Amen. Jesus came to save sinners. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. He didn't come for the good guys. He came for the good guys and the bad guys. In fact, we're all bad, right? He came for everybody. Rejoice. Rejoice in Jesus. Rejoice in Yeshua. Rejoice in Yahweh's salvation. Join the choirs of heaven this Christmas and rejoice. Amen. Say, my sins are buried with Christ Jesus. Say, the blood has paid the penalty. I'm no longer walking in that anymore. I am freed in Jesus' name. My Savior has been born. That's why all around the throne of the Lamb of God in heaven. In Revelation 5, it says, Worthy is the Lamb who has purchased people with His blood from every tribe, from every tongue, and from every nation. <laughs> You've been purchased by the blood. Amen. Understand how valuable you are. Understand how freed you are. Understand how forgiven you are. The Lamb of God was born on Christmas, right? He was born, ultimately, to suffer, to die, and to save you from your sin. The third point I want to make is this, point number three. Jesus is Christ, the Lord. He is the Savior, the angel says, and then he goes on to say, He is Christ, the Lord. You know, uh, what does that mean? Christ, it, it simply means He is the Messiah. He is the Anointed One. And even more, this is the only time the word Christ is paired with the word Lord in the New Testament. He is Christ, the Lord, meaning Adonai, meaning Yahweh. He is the Christ, Yahweh. He is Yahweh's Christ, but even more that as Christ, He is Yahweh Himself. We'll get to that in a moment. So, He is Christ. You know, Israel, when the shepherds heard that He was the Christ, or He is the Messiah, they're like, whoa, because at this time in Israel, for, for about a generation... The entire land had been filled with messianic fervor. They were constantly looking for who that Messiah would be, and, and they had constantly kind of designated certain people to be out as messiahs. They turned out to be false messiahs. But here heaven is saying, the Messiah, the true Messiah that you have been longing for, here he is, he has come, it is this baby who is lying in a manger that I'm going to you know, tell you to go see. The Messiah has come. What does that mean? Well, they were looking for the son of David who would rise up as king, right? Who would, who would fulfill 
the promise that God had made to David in 2 Samuel 7, that a son would come from his uh, loins who would rule and reign forever and ever and ever. This is that messianic son of David. This is Jesus who would be king. Well, one thing Jesus makes clear over and over again throughout the Gospels is that he is not the type of Messiah, he is not the type of king that the Jews were expecting. Rather, he tells Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world, right? If it were of this world, my disciples would fight. But what did I tell them to do? Put away your sword, Peter. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. And so we understand that his kingdom, his, his, his messiahship, his, his reigning as Christ is from the heavens, right? And we are in a spiritual kingdom. He says, the kingdom doesn't come with observation. You don't see it come, but the kingdom of heaven is within, within you. This is the baby, how he reigns and how he rules. He reigns and rules over our hearts. He reigns and rules through us. And ultimately, as people are transformed from the inside out, that is what is going to be the leaven that transforms society, right? That's going to what makes nations Christian nations is when the people of the nations become Christians themselves, right? When there's revival in the heart, in the lives of the people, they understand Jesus is their Savior and Jesus is Christ the Lord. The fourth point I want to make is this. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is Emmanuel. I love all the Christmas songs that talk about Emmanuel. I love the song we sung this morning, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. Right? Uh, it talks about you know, the Word of God becoming flesh for us. Matthew 1.22 So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Of all the things we've looked at from his name to him being the Savior to him being the Messiah, I think Emmanuel is the most powerful truth. That the baby born Christmas Day was not just truly and fully human, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of, of Mary, but he was fully God with us. God with us. The eternal God. As John says, the word who in the beginning was with God and was God. Who was made flesh and he dwelt among us. This is who we're talking about. We're talking about the eternal one taking on human nature in order to save us. This is so important, the full deity confessing that Jesus is, is not just a man, but that he indeed is God who has come to dwell with us. This is a truth that's uttered over and over throughout the New Testament. In fact, it became part of one of the early creeds of the Christians that they would confess. 1 Timothy 3.16 says this, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. Who was manifested in the flesh? God. What flesh was he manifested in? Jesus. Colossians 1.15, speaking about Jesus. This is another probably early hymn the Christians would sing. Paul says this. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. <laughs> John 1.18 says, No one has seen God at any time, but the Son of God has made Him known. 
The word there in Greek made him known as simply exegesis. It, he has exegeted God for us. He has revealed who God is for us. You know, what I like about, about uh, Christmas is I like Santa Claus. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because Santa Claus is really based off of one of the most powerful defenders of the Christian faith to ever live. And it was a man who was obsessed with defending that Jesus was God in flesh. The guy's name was St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas, okay? You know when he lived? He lived during the 3rd and 4th century. And he was an eminent Christian leader. In fact, he was the top dog in a city of uh, Turkey named Myra. He was the Bishop of Myra. And because he was this eminent Christian in Turkey, he was invited by the emperor, who was a Christian at that time, Constantine, to come to a, a Christian council at the city of Nicaea. And at this uh, council in Nicaea, they were dealing with a very corrosive teaching that was circulating throughout the church. You know, there's always uh, corrosive teachings that circulate throughout the church every century. Every century, the church has to deal with it how according to the word of God. So there's 318 guys they get together, bishops, great leaders, all from the Roman world. And one of the most powerful uh, guys there was a guy by the name of St. Nicholas. And what they did is they crafted a creed, meaning a statement that Christians could confess together, where they'd say, I believe. And they wrote all these things they believed. And the, the primary thing the creed was about, it was about confessing who Jesus is as the eternal God, as Emmanuel, as God with us. And so uh, they, were, they were confronting, like I said, this corrosive heresy, which was going around which was promulgated by a guy named Arius, who was going around saying there was a time when the Son of God was not. And so that, uh, that uh, the Son of God somehow came about in some time in the past rather than being eternal. And all these bishops are saying, no, this is heresy. And they went through the scriptures and they said, boom, 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 boom. This is how we're, we're going to send around this creed to the, the churches. They're going to confess this truth from the scriptures, and everyone's going to know that, no, Jesus is indeed Emmanuel. He is fully God with us. Well, we're told that the deliberations at this council got so heated that Arius um, was confronted by St. Nicholas. You know what St. Nicholas did? <laughs> we're told that he slapped him in the face because he was so emotional in defending the truth that Jesus is Emmanuel. That Jesus is God with us. It's kind of like when, when Paul got so angry at Peter. Remember when, when Peter would, he, 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 at first he was eating with the Gentiles, but then when some Jews who didn't like that came and they saw him eating with the Gentiles, he, he, he started just eating with the Jews. And what did Peter, uh, Paul do? He said, I withstood him to his face, right? And that showed him he was wrong. Well, that's what St. Nicholas does. Now, of course, you know, the whole Santa thing can be taken in, you know, some unhelpful directions. But when we understand that this was a man who defended the truth that Jesus is Emmanuel, when we understand that he gave gifts to the poor, when we understand that he bought women out of slavery, all the good things he does, it shows us what the true spirit of Christmas is really all about, right? That's the good Santa Claus. <laughs> and guess what? You know, now Jesus is radically different from Santa in another way. What does Santa do? He gives coal to bad people, right? What does Jesus do? He, he's making a list of who's naughty and nice. 
Well, everyone gets the same gift. They get the gift of God himself, Jesus Christ, right? He came for all people, the good people, the bad people, the naughty people, and the nice people, amen? Everyone gets the gift of Jesus. The last thing I want to mention is this, point number five. Jesus is wonderful. Jesus is wonderful. Isaiah 9, 6 says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful. That's the first uh, title he's given. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice, from that time forward, even forever. Meaning he's doing it today, amen? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. So who is the baby in the manger? He's not just Jesus, Yahweh's salvation. He's not just a Savior. He's not just Christ the Messiah. He's not just Emmanuel, God with us. But he is wonderful. He is wonderful. The word there simply means extraordinary. Hard to comprehend, hard to understand. Of course, the English word is pretty straightforward. It means it's full of wonder. Wonder simply means something is beautiful, unexpected, inexplicable. That is who Jesus is. He is wonderful. He is extraordinary. He is so beautiful that ultimately it is impossible to fully describe the greatness of the gift that has been given to us, right? It's like the song we sing, he is beautiful beyond description. He's too marvelous for words. He's too wonderful for comprehension. Like nothing ever seen or, or heard, right? Who can grasp his infinite wisdom? Who can fathom the depths of his love? Nobody can. He has an infinite resource of riches, and we're just barely grasping just, just, just the little drops of His goodness and His grace and His love and His mercy and all that He is. He is wonderful. So I tell you, when, when you celebrate Christmas this year, remember that the birth of the child we're celebrating, that it is far greater than anything you could possibly comprehend. And so you know what that makes you want to do? It says, I just want to plumb the depths of who Jesus is a little bit more. I want to welcome him into my heart and my life a little bit more. I want to see the life of Jesus <laughs> alive in me. Amen? We're going to take communion. Anyone here not receive a communion element? Raise your hand. 